Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast. It is Thursday, September the 23rd, and wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this uh, and opening yourself to the Word of God, I wish you God's life within that Word. I wish you God's grace uh, and and just God's embrace uh, that you may realize and experience God's love for you this day in and through God's Word and in and through the Holy Spirit who carries that word, and hopefully who carries whatever uh, wisdom and message that we have to share today. We celebrate a feast day again today. You know, we Catholics, and, 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 and Christians, but Catholics particularly, we love feasts, and, and that's a wonderful thing, you know, that, that there are people in our history that are worth celebrating um, because... They're us, right? And and they they're just signposts along the way. They they help us see how the faith has been lived and can be lived again, and they just give us inspiration. Maybe for our life, maybe for this day today, simply, and that's it. But either way, isn't that wonderful? Simply to remember, to remember the shoulders upon which you and I stand, all the holy women and men. So many of them, many of them not even celebrated, right? Because the church doesn't recognize them with a capital C canonization. Many of those are the behind the scenes people that we talked about last week. But um, many of them are recognized. And today it is, uh, I'm going to say the official title here. Now I got to go back up to the top of the page. It is the Memorial of St. Pius of Pietrelcina comma, priest. Ultimately, who is that? Well, you and I know him more as Padre Pio. Today is the memorial of Padre Pio. So I'll, I'll tell a little bit about Padre Pio uh, but uh, at the end. But again, just so good to remember uh, these people uh, to give us images of, okay, that's how the faith can be lived. Um, and maybe I can take part of that in my life somehow. Short gospel today. Uh, it's going to pick up immediately where we left off yesterday, which was Jesus sent out the uh, the 12, right? Sent them out in pairs, basically told them, hey, don't take anything with you, and uh, and heal body and mind, uh, body and spirit, everything, uh, fully. Go to it. I'm giving you power and authority. So we're still in Luke 9 then. That was yesterday's was Luke 9, 1 through 6. Today we're going to pick up. 7 through 9. Interestingly enough, we're not going to follow Jesus today. So the the scene changes. Jesus was sending out the apostles. Now we're curtain and we're getting a uh, another focus today. So let's break open God's word, see what the Holy Spirit has through us through Luke's writings today, okay? We're reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because some were saying, John has been raised from the dead. Others were saying, Elijah has appeared. Still others, one of the ancient prophets has arisen. But Herod said, John I beheaded. Who then is this about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. My friends, the gospel of the Lord 
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I told you it was a short one, right? And I told you, scene changes. We're, we're shifting here. So what do we talk about this one? Two things. I'll make, uh, I'll make two points. And I think I'll probably be more brief today. Praise be Jesus Christ, huh? But two things. The first is, did you recognize kind of the motif? Did you recognize how we went through uh, what people and who people said Jesus was? It's going to sound an awful lot like what we're going to hear coming up pretty soon when we hear the who do you say I am, which is always the hinge point in the Synoptic Gospels, starting with Mark, of course. Uh, and I think Mark is chapter 8, uh, Matthew is chapter 16, if memory serves, and then we're, we're going to come upon it here yet in Luke. But listen to it again. Herod the Tetrarch. Okay. So this is not the King Herod who killed all the children two years old and younger at the birth of Jesus. That was Herod the Great. He was now a puppet king. We say the king of, of the Jews in that sense. He was the king of Israel, but he was a puppet king because the real uh, rulers are the Romans, right? Um, they are the empire, and, and Israel is a vassal state. Um, Judea, actually, is a vassal state under uh, the Roman rule. But Herod the Great ruled all of, of Judea at that point. Well, um, Herod the Great, when he passed away, because we know he did, right? Because Joseph took Mary and Jesus and fled to Egypt, right? That's how they avoided the, the children being killed in Bethlehem. And when Joseph, word reached Joseph that Herod had passed away, they moved back, but they moved to Nazareth. Um, and that's, uh, that's how they get up to the north part uh, in Galilee. So how do we hear about this guy named Herod? Well, Herod the Great had four children and divided the kingdom, the north, Galilee, the middle, Samaria, you know, Judah in the south, all those. He divided those uh, territories in Idumea um, between his four kids. And Herod, the Tetrarch here that we talked about, was one of those sons. We know another son was his brother Philip, right? Because Herod, the Tetrarch, gets in trouble with John the Baptist because he says, hey, you married your brother Philip's wife. So Philip was one of the rulers and one of the four at that point, too. But really, we're only going to hear about Herod, the Tetrarch, this guy. Okay, so that was kind of a little tangent. But Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about what was happening. And he was greatly perplexed because some people were saying, well, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And others over here were saying, well, Elijah has reappeared. Remember, Elijah uh, never, quote unquote, died. He was taken up to the kingdom in a fiery golden chariot. Uh, and so people would always leave a seat at Passover for Elijah in case Elijah came back. That was a very entrenched Jewish uh, tradition and hope, really. Uh, and so they said, well, Elijah has appeared. He's, he's come back. And still others are saying, well, one of the ancient prophets has arisen. Okay, doesn't that sound like after Jesus 
sends out the, the, the 12, which we know he's already done that, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm going to refer to Matthew and Mark here. After they come back, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they use these exact words, don't they? Well, some say, you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am, right? You know the story. I know the story. That's exactly what's being played out here. Exactly. Herod's greatly perplexed because some people are saying, well, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Others, Elijah has appeared. Still others, one of the ancient prophets has arisen. That's what Jesus heard too. Who do people say that I am? You're John the Baptist. Uh, others say Elijah or one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? So, okay, Joe, what are you getting at? Because that's really where we're going here. After Herod hears what people are saying who Jesus is, but Herod said, John a beheaded, meaning, okay, that, that, that one doesn't seem like a possibility to me. Who then is this about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. So Herod, in a sense, is a forerunner uh, of the story we're going to hear, ultimately saying, listen, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't matter to me what these people say Jesus is, that he is Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. I have to, I have to see him for myself. I have to hear him for myself. And that's how I'm going to decide who he is. Not through these other people, but through me. And that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. Well, who do you say that I am? Because that's really the question. That's really the question. Long, long uh, story to get to this point. Brothers and sisters, that's only a question you and I can answer for ourselves, right? I mean, I can't tell you here on this podcast who Jesus is. All I can tell you is who Jesus is for me. And it's the same if I were to meet with you and say, who is Jesus? You could tell me who Jesus is for you. But you couldn't tell me who Jesus is. Because Jesus is obviously going to be bigger than, than anything you or I can encompass. But, but it's that experience of, of him that makes him, well, that not, doesn't make him, that, that changes us. Can I use that word instead? It's our experience of Jesus. It's our encounter with him. It's our, uh, our life uh, overlapping and, and taking in and encountering and, 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 and saying yes to his life within us and around us and among us and, and under us and over us, as the best breastplate of, of St. Patrick says. I mean, it's all those things. It's, it's, the, it's, it's those things that invite us to be who we are and to hope for what we hope for, and to make the decisions we make. I mean, how do we encompass all of that, all of these things that shape our life, into a simple question that somebody wants a a 30-second answer for of who is Jesus? The best we can do is is do what Herod did and say, you got to go experience him. You got to go find him. You got to go meet him. You got to open yourself to him. You got to say yes you got to encounter. And when you do, then you'll know. Then you'll know. And that, brothers and sisters, is the work of our life, isn't it? 
I think it is, is not necessarily to answer that question for other people, but how do we create those avenues? Those shortcuts may not be the, the answer because shortcuts are never great. How do we create the path, the tools for other people to encounter? Because really that's all that matters. That's all that matters. That you have to answer for yourself and when you know, you know. And you don't just know in your head, but you've experienced. And you know what he has done for you and you know what he can do for you. And you know that he is more than just somebody who lived 2,000 years ago, but that he is life, capital L, even now. And, and that is what our life is about. Not about me, not about my small things, but it is about Jesus Christ. But those words sound dumb and foolish and hollow until we've encountered Herod hadn't encountered, but he was looking for him. He was looking for him. Here's the second point and the last one I'll make. We kind of have to pity Herod, I think. At least I do. You don't have to do anything. I don't want to tell you how to feel. What do we know about Herod? We know a little bit, right? We know he married his husband's, or his, his brother's wife. His brother Philip, his wife. And, um, and John the Baptist named that. And in naming the truth and speaking the truth to power, he got imprisoned. And we know that Herod was intrigued by John. And he used to go down and listen to him. And, and I don't know if whether he liked him, whether that's a correct way to say. He knew he was a holy man. Probably knew that John was right. Um, but when his daughter-in-law uh, danced for him, uh, and did a very sexually arousing dance. Basically, he said, hey, listen, you can have anything up to the half of my kingdom, meaning I'll dump your mom. And, and if you want to be queen, yeah, you, you can have it. You can have anything up to the half of my kingdom. What do you want? And in front of company, in front of his guests, she says, I want the, the, the head of the Baptist. Uh, because, of course, that's that's you know, what uh, she had asked her mother, what, what's a good way to answer this? And that was um, what Herodias would have liked. Um, and so she does that. And Herod uh, obliges, not because he wants to, but because he would look foolish in front of his, his guests if he backed down on his offer. And... Um, so we see somebody who was weak enough to like John the Baptist and probably know he was right, but not set him free, and was weak enough that when he made a vow in front of his guests and, and somebody made a hurtful request, that he did it anyway. So that's what we know. And we also know at the end of Jesus' life, we don't know that yet, about Herod because we haven't reached the passion. But when Pilate sends Jesus to Herod, and again, Herod had been trying to see him. He finally gets to see him, and Jesus doesn't say anything. And Herod becomes um, uh, upset and frustrated because he, again, I think he wanted to do, well, I won't say to do the good or the right, 
but he, I think he wanted to know who Jesus was because he knew his own life was lacking, I suspect. That's my interpretation. He knew there was more. And so he looked to these holy men, to, to John the Baptist first and then Jesus, to try to answer those questions. To his credit, he at least knew there was more out there. But then when he finally got it, he wasn't strong enough to deal with it. So what does he do? He puts a, clo- a, a robe on Jesus and mocks him and sends him back to Pilate. And he suspect when Jesus died, a part of Pilate died too. Or not Pilate, excuse me, Herod died too in his weakness. He's a pitiable character, brothers and sisters. But I guess the, the point I'd invite us to ponder is, do we know what we need? I, I, I do think Herod did. I think he knew what he needed, but I don't think he was strong enough um, to accept what he needed, to follow through with what he needed. And instead he pushed it away because in his weakness he thought he needed the approval of the people around him more. What do we need today? Maybe it's just today, but what do we need today? Do you know you need more? Do I know I need more? Uh, and, and how do we deal with that when it comes in front of us? And like Herod, are we trying to see? Are we trying to see? And may we have the strength that when we do have it in front of us that we don't push it away or mock it. Um, but we own it. No matter who is around us, no matter what it invites us into, uh, may we have the strength to say yes. We know that is what we need now and maybe tomorrow and maybe always. Let's talk about Padre Peel. Again, he deserves more than I'm going to give, uh, but uh, Padre Peel was born in southern Italy uh, to a large farming family. And this was back in the late 19th century. I want to say 1887, give or take. And... Um, by the age of 15, so this would have been early 20th century now, he uh, he joined the Capuchins. I guess you could do that at the age of 15 back then, but you couldn't do it now. You do it then. And he took the name of, of uh, um, Pius, I think. He wasn't Padre at that point. He wasn't a, uh, a priest. But um, his family is, is, they didn't have a lot of money. And his, his dad even went to uh, Jamaica, New York, and, and worked um, uh, a, a number of, of months and, and maybe even years and provided money for the family back home. Well, at the age of 15, he joins the, the Capuchins, takes that name. He's ordained in 1910. So again, he's what, maybe 23 years old or so at that point. World War I comes along. He is uh, drafted, but he has tuberculosis, so he, he gets out of the, the army. And he is assigned by the Capuchins to a, uh, a, a, a monastery and basically lives the rest of his life uh, in this um, Capuchin. It is a monastery, a friary, and it might be a friary because they're Franciscans. Um, and it's again in, um, in Italy, uh, along the, the south, if memory serves. And in 1918, so again, how old would he be then? 31 years old. 
he, uh, he finishes up with Mass uh, one morning, and he has a vision of Jesus Christ. And after that vision, he, uh, he comes back to himself from that ecstatic vision, and he has the stigmata. Now, what the stigmata is, brothers and sisters, are those wounds on your hands and your feet. And he had those, and like St. Francis did. And, uh, and there were at least two times where studies were done, not just by, you know, you, people like me who don't know any better. You know, they were by medical people, by, by uh, people, I'm sure, from Rome who came to look at it, as well as, you know, just all these uh, thrill seekers and, and people who wanted to just find out what's going down. Well, and twice, I want to say 20, 1924 and 1931, uh, it was ruled that the stigmata, uh, the authenticity was questioned and um, that he was not able to hear confessions or publicly say mass. But shortly after both of these rulings, they were overturned and, and Padre Pio, in his humility, never questioned him, never left the, uh, the monastery, never did any writings after uh, 1924, the first time that he was publicly questioned. Uh, and so what is he, age 37 by that point? And um, all he did was spend time in prayer, and his reputation for holiness grew, and people used to come. And so after 5 a.m. Mass in the morning, this was his normal schedule, after 5 a.m. Mass, he would hear confessions, people's confessions, until noon, and, uh, and then take a break. And then as the days went on and the years went on, that didn't just go till noon, it went all in the afternoon as well. For 10 to 12 hours a day, he would hear people's confessions. That's what he did. And uh, people would send him requests to pray for uh, loved ones who were ill. And amazingly enough that they were, uh, they were healed. I mean, he, he, he clearly had a connection with God. He clearly had the, um, the people saw the holiness there. And they kept coming. They kept coming to him. And there has been a cult, and I use that in the best sense of that, and not in, in the sense, the modern sense of, oh, it's terrible. There's this cult of, of, um, uh, of love uh, and interest and um, just people who are, are uh, captivated by Padre Pio and, uh, and were. And he died in 1968. Again, I, I don't even know that he left that, that friary. Um, that's, I mean, he lived his life in this small place, but yet his holiness, uh, exuded far, far beyond it. And, uh, and his humility and, and just that connection that he had with God that people could even sense. And, uh, he was, uh, canonized by John Paul II, uh, in 2002. And they said it was one of the largest crowds of any of the canonizations that had ever taken place in Rome. Again, that following, that's what I mean when I say cult, that following uh, was so strong with the simple man who was young boy who was born on a, a, a southern Italy farm to a poor family and simply lived his life in humility and in prayer. I mean, simplicity. I think his father, Francis, because Capuchins are Franciscan, Franciscan friars, I think his father Francis would have loved that simplicity uh, of which he lived his life. So we will ask for uh, Padre Pio to pray for us. So let us pray, okay? 
And whatever's going on with you today, again, let's just trust that our God knows. But let's bring it before him and, uh, and ask for God's, uh, God's presence and uh, in whatever's going on uh, that we need to give him today. And so we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The fourth glorious mystery is the Assumption of Mary. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And St. Padre Pio, pray for us. Well, my friends, I promised something that might be a little shorter today. And I totally did the exact opposite. I don't know how that happens. God love you all. And thanks for being present today. I hope you have a wonderful Thursday. And I'll see you once more this week when we can break open God's word. God's peace.